we start. Father, I just declare over this congregation, over this church, that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of our hearts, He's Lord of our emotions, He's Lord of our minds, He's Lord of our tongues. He's Lord of every part of who we are as a community and as us as individuals. And we just declare your peace into this place, your shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And every bit starting to be put back together the way you intended. Father... We just declare right now the authority that you've given us in the name of Jesus. And we just declare that every word that's said by your spirit today would not be confused, would not be uh, misinterpreted, but would be received. And every heart would receive with joy your word this morning and find a new sense, a fresh sense of purpose and identity in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, So we're going to look at Genesis 1, but I want to talk about this morning, I want to talk about resting in in the Lord, and uh, (laughs) this is something that that really is, is is something I really believe that we need to do more of as the people of God, and resting is not necessarily inactivity, it's a state of being, it's a state of heart to be in rest, isn't it? And I think there's so many things in life that can take us out of rest and so many things that we can focus on that brings us this peace. But I really believe that we have the ability, because of the Holy Spirit within us, to come to a place of rest and peace and that become our norm in life. That become our norm in life. You know, if, if, if there's no peace in our lives at all, then I really believe we need an encounter with the Prince of Peace more and more. Whether it be in the Word, whether it be in worship, and I think worship is a great way to sort of shift the atmosphere in our own heart and to bring in a sense of rest and peace. You know, when pray for our musicians and our singers because there's a big job to do. If you think about it, people come in from all sorts of stuff, kicking off in the week, and these guys have got to lead us in praise and worship and set the atmosphere and set our hearts uh, away from the stuff that's entangled it in the week and onto the Lord. And it's a big job, so please pray for them in that. Can I also say something practically? It says, it says in Proverbs 15 um, that a fool despises instruction, but a wise man receives it. And um, another translation says a a fool despises correction. So you know what's going to come. There's a little correction. Now, for some of you, this won't mean anything because it doesn't affect you. But for some of you, it will. Can you just imagine for a moment having an appointment to meet a personality that you really admire, whether it be a footballer, whether it be a, a, a singer, whether it be an actor, whether it be a, a leader of some description in history, whatever it would be, somebody that you really admire. And they said there was an appointment with them at 11 o'clock or 9 a.m. or wherever it was, even 6 a.m. I can meet you, I can have breakfast with you at 6 a.m. And you really admired that person. You, you were desperate to spend time with them because of your admiration and your love and you wanting to get to know them. Can I suggest that none of us would be late for that appointment? None of us would be late for that appointment. None of us would be late for that appointment. 
And yet on, on Sunday, we start at 10.30 and we, you know, I know and I want to give grace because there's times when, you know, things get on top of you, especially, you know, with, with, with people with children, you know, suddenly you're about to leave the house and somebody fills their nappy, you know, that, that can be really frustrating, I know that. But, but can, I, can I just say that I believe you have an appointment with the Lord, yes. 10.30 every Sunday, some of us at 7 p.m., and let's make that appointment. That's all I'm saying. And I know there's no fools in here. I know there's no fools in this church. So that you won't despise that correction, will you? Amen. So we're going to worship the Lord from 10.30 and 7 o'clock. Just to say that tonight the Bible study won't be on. It's just going to be the evening meeting um, and at 7 o'clock. And that's going to be the same. We're going to put the Bible study on hold for a while and meet at 7 o'clock this evening to worship the Lord. Just close your eyes for me, would you? I'm going to read a scripture to you from a translation called The Voice, but I want you to meditate on it, because I really believe there's a connection between meditation and rest. You know, meditation is something that's been hijacked by other religions, but I believe meditation is something that helps us and is a tool in the bag for us to encounter the Lord and be changed by Him. And and I really believe that God wants us to take back what meditation is. Meditating on the scripture, meditating on the heart of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And I believe in doing that, we'll come to more of a place of rest. You know, this world system is getting so much more busy, busy, busy all the time, isn't it? You know, I even hear from retired people these days, there's not enough hours in the day. So if we're working, that's, that's the same as well, if not more so. And therefore, in our busy lives, I believe it's a tactic of the enemy. You know, he's a hard taskmaster like Pharaoh. He made the people of God work more and do more and be busy, busy, busy. Can I say that God wants us to have a rhythm to life? And part of that rhythm is rest. Part of that rhythm is to sp- spend time with him. You know, even the word holiday comes from the phrase holy day. And it was a time when people took some time aside to be before the Lord, to be with their family, enjoy life. But God likes us to enjoy life. When you read the Old Testament, how many festivals were there? So many festivals. How many times were there parties? How many times were there opportunities for people to enjoy God and enjoy time with each other? In our busy, busy capitalist society, we, 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 we kind of just get so busy, busy, busy. And we, 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 we have to make more money to accumulate more stuff that doesn't actually fulfill our hearts anyway. And what's the point when we can actually spend some more time? Yes, it's great to work. And in our work, there can be rest on the inside. But make sure we've got time to be before the Lord. And, and that's why, you know, in this modern day, some people, some Christians think there's no point to church on a Sunday. What's the point to it? Well, I believe the point is actually a grace of God to us. Yes. That we can spend some time, aside from our normal stuff, you know, when everybody else is going to the church of Asda and the church of Sainsbury's on a Sunday morning and spending the money they don't have, we can come here for a God who gave everything to us and we can worship him, amen? And God's so good, isn't he? So just close your eyes. I want to read this scripture to you. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus the Anointed One, who grants us every spiritual blessing in these heavenly realms where we live in Him. This is not because of anything we have done, but it's because of what He has done for us. God chose us 
to be in relationship with him even before he laid out plans for this world. He wanted us to live holy lives characterized by love, free from sin and blameless before him. He destined us to be adopted as his children through the promise of Jesus, the anointed one, which he inaugurated through his sacrificial life. This was the Father's good pleasure and will for us. Ultimately, God is the one worthy of praise for showing us his grace. He is merciful and marvelous, freely giving us these gifts in his beloved Jesus. Now visualize this. Jesus' blood freely flowing down the cross, setting us free. We are forgiven for our sinful ways by the richness of his grace, which he has poured all over us with wisdom and insight. He has enlightened us to the great mystery at the center of his will. And with immense pleasure, he has laid out his intentions for us through Jesus. Awesome stuff. Right? What a meditation. What a meditation. Just to be quiet for a moment and, and hear what God is saying to us this morning. With immense pleasure, he brought you into his will and his likeness. With immense pleasure, he's given us his identity. So we can be like him in this world. With immense pleasure, he accepts us as his children. What an awesome father. I'm just struck by that line. God chose us to be in relationship with him even before he laid out plans for this world. You know when you go on a walk in a beautiful day like this, and I won't go too long so you'll be able to do that this afternoon. You see the beautiful surrounding, especially where we live in this beautiful county of Yorkshire, God's own country. The majestic hills, the beautiful rivers, the beautiful lakes that are around and just the scenery. You know, when you're a Christian, even the trees seem green, don't they? And the sky seems bluer because you know who created them all. But that same God who created all this beauty was thinking of us as the object of his affection And us being the most beautiful pinnacle of his creation, even before he created this majestic universe. Before he laid out plans for that, he laid out plans for us. How awesome is he? What an awesome God. So let's go back to the beginning, shall we? Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 28. 26, sorry. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. When the Bible says man, it's talking about male and female, okay? So it's very important we understand that. It's not talking about um, just males. It's talking about male and female. We are the race of men. I know in our politically correct society, it's humankind. But actually, you know, a female tiger does not mind being called a tiger. Do you understand? Male tigers don't mind being called tigers. Females are part of the race of men, and males are part of the race of men. Amen? 
So let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image. Listen to this. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female in the image of God. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this was the mandate that God gave man, gave to us to look after, to care for creation, to bring his glory and his heavenly perspective into this earth realm, and to be, if you like, a co-creator with him. When you read on in this book of Genesis, you find that uh, in chapter 2, don't get confused when you read chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 2 is a more in-depth view of day 5 of creation, the creation of man, okay? And all that God did through him. And chapter 1 is about the original creation, or depends on what specific uh, place you have. I say it's a day of restoration. Anyway, so basically, let's... Fast forward to chapter 2 a little bit, and I want to read from verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before the herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, because there was no man to till the ground. So basically, you see right at the beginning of time, if you like, or of this creation, that God was looking for partnership. He was looking for men to work with him. The reason he hadn't sent the rain is because there was nobody to till the ground. That sounds like partnership to me, doesn't it? It's almost like God is saying in the earth realm that I've given to you, man, I've given you this earth, I've given you authority here, I'm waiting for you to make the first move so I can come in and partner with you. And so often Christianity has taught us that God will do it. It's all about God doing it. God's sovereign. He'll do it. And we'll just sit back and do nothing. But God is asking us to be the ones that know who we are in him and start to do the things he does. And he will come along and help us in that matter. Being a co-creator with him. What an awesome privilege. You know, you may think, well, I, I'm so thankful that I'm, I'm saved and I'm not what I used to be like. But, but you, you haven't even begun to experience what God wants us to know that we already are in him. Amen. You know, there's so much more to step into in, in this wonderful walk. <clears throat> so here you have the situation where there's a, there's a work element. Men are called to work. You know, work came before the fall. Do you understand that? Some people see work as part of the curse. Well, if you read your Bible closely in chapter 3, it says the curse is the fact that when you work and when you toil, it won't produce for you. But work is part of God's plan. Being lazy isn't part of God's plan. Work is part of God's plan. But in our work... God doesn't want us to burn out. He wants us to burn on. So we've got to work from a place of rest. And that is the struggle, isn't it? That's the struggle right the way through the Bible for the people of God to enter his rest. And their work comes from his rest. When you read the Gospels, do you see Jesus sort of doing very little? 
he seemed to be quite active, didn't he? In fact, the Bible says that if all the things that Jesus ever did were written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world to collate all the things he did. And yet, he was at perfect rest. So being at rest is nothing to do with inactivity and laziness because God has called us to work with him to bring his kingdom in. Amen? Amen. So, so what is this rest? Well, I really believe that God wants this rest to be a state of being of our heart before him. He wants us to come into his rest more and more. So I'm going to look at a scripture where you see this as an example. It's in Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to fast forward in this particular chapter to verse 15. Verse 15. Then the Lord God told the man, sorry, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So God put the man in a garden, and that man was supposed to work. Not put his feet up and watch reruns of Neighbours, okay? He was supposed to work. He was supposed to produce something. But he was supposed to be done from a place of rest and also a place of relationship. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of that you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no, not found a helper comparable to him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She should be called, whoa, man, because she's a man, but she's a bit better. Whoa! She's a bit more good looking. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now this, right at the beginning of the book of Genesis, Jesus quoted that last verse in the Gospels. And this is being attacked in our society big time. And you're called a bigot for just repeating these verses. But I believe that marriage is between a male and a female. And I believe that God's intention is for the male and the female to reflect his glory in the earth. Through marriage, but also through the wonder that is the family of God and the church. And no matter how, what assignment of the enemy comes against the body of Christ... This will still be happening in increasing measure until Jesus returns. The glory of the church will grow and people will come into right relationship with God, right relationship with each other. And no matter what voices are out there, God's voice is going to become louder and louder. It's happening in many other countries throughout the earth and it's going to happen in our nation too. How is it going to happen? It's going to happen when we realize who we are. When we start to realize the the, the position that God has placed us in and the responsibility to be co-creators with him. We've seen this in the passage we've just read. What happened? God brought all the animals and whatever Adam 
named them. That's what the animal became. He gave them a likeness and an identity. And he did it from a place of rest. You know, God made the animals. We know that. He made everything. But actually, Adam's part of that creation was to be in rest in relationship with God. And from that place, work and name all the animals. Can I just say to you that naming all the animals was hard work? There's a lot of animals out there, isn't there? Okay? But whatever identity he gave them, that's what they became. Adam was part of God's creation. And we are supposed to be part of that. In fact, we know this, don't we? Because we know that when we say something positive over somebody, it creates a positive emotion in them. When we say something negative about somebody, it brings them down. You've just been a creator or a destroyer. So this was God's plan that you and I, in relationship with him, would just go about enjoying working and being creative. From a place of rest and a place of relationship. To be in a place of relationship, you you need to know the heart of the person that you're in relationship with. And Adam was still learning that. In fact, we read earlier that God said to him, I don't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. But he misinterpreted God's heart and God's message. Because if you read in Genesis chapter 3, he says to his wife that God didn't just say, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said that God said, don't go near it, don't even touch it. So he didn't understand God's heart and he gave his wife a distorted message from the heart of the Father. And you know what happened? That allowed the serpent to come in. Because when you receive a distorted view of God and a distorted view of yourself, it it ends rest in you and it allows the enemy to come in. You know, on day seven, God rested and so did Adam and, and they enjoyed fellowship. It's interesting, after that, Satan came in. Because the serpent always comes in, always comes in to try and disturb your rest and your relationship. Can I suggest that the serpent comes in to always try and disturb our relationships as the church? He comes in to start bringing instability and insecurity between one another and instability so that because he wants us divided. But when we can be united then things can happen. But unity won't come from just a lot of ecumenical meetings. Unity comes from us seeing that we as Christians are like God and like each other. That's what Adam said, didn't he? When when his wife was created, he said, she's like me. I can fellowship on a different level, on a more intimate level, let's not go too far, but a more intimate level with her than I can with anything else in creation. There's a relationship. And how did he know that she was like him? Because he knew that he was like God, and when he saw her, she was like God. So he knew that there was a similarity. And he could fellowship on a wonderful level. God said it's not good for the the man to be alone on this earth. And made somebody in his likeness woman. And how did that happen, brothers and sisters? We read this in the scripture. God put a deep sleep on Adam, didn't he? The word there in the Hebrew is this, God put him in a trance or a state of meditation or a state of rest. And in that state of meditation and state of rest and peace, not disturbed by external circumstances, but in that place of peace, 
Ladies, you're going to love this revelation here. Came the most beautiful pinnacle of creation itself, woman. Because God always gets his best work done when we're at rest. That's worth a shout, I thought, anyway. It's true, isn't it? Come on, let's be honest, gents. I, I, I don't want to upset you. But so often when, 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 when I see a gent, and I see, look at myself as well, and I see his wife, I think, how did that happen? She's beautiful. You must have such an anointing. And she's cleverer than you as well. Well, amen, I receive it. Amen. Praise God. Because God does his best work when we're at rest. That's why the Bible says, cast all your care on him. For he cares for you. And we're trying to spin plates, keep things going, trying to be gods in our own universe. When we're not supposed to be gods in our own universe, we're supposed to be co-creators with our Father in his universe and bring about great glory in the earth. But it has to be from a place of rest. It has to be from a place of meditation. And that's why it's important to humble ourselves enough to sit down as you're doing now and hear the word of the Lord. That's part of meditation. When you spend time with the Lord on your own, it's part of meditation. Can I suggest, and I've asked the Lord to forgive me in my own life for this at times, it is absolute arrogance to assume that we can get through the day without turning to our Father in prayer. Absolute arrogance. Unless there's a sense of rest... Really, nothing will produce the way God wants it to produce. And don't think that the world's way of results or the world's judgment on results is what God is after. God is after eternal results in people's lives. And I really believe that God is calling us as a church into a place of rest. I had a vision this morning during the worship. And the vision was simply this. And I saw many of you in the vision. And you were working, working, you know, doing things, preparing this, doing this, doing the other, doing this. And, and it was great that you were doing it, but then I saw some doing it, and they were already burnt out on the inside. And some of you working from a place of rest and being able to do twice as much. And I really believe God is saying, Son, I want this church to come into such a place of rest on the inside, as a community and as individuals, that it will be effective. And nobody will burn out, but everybody will burn on in an amazing way. I really believe that. You know, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it, that God put this son of his into a meditation, into a place of rest, and then did this beautiful creation of woman. And the Bible says that that relationship between a man and a woman in marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And just how God took a rib out of Adam, out of the side of Adam, and created a beautiful woman. So that, listen to this, what happened on the cross? A spear, a fiery dart of the enemy, of the evil one. And evil one means toil in the Bible, hard work that you don't get any results from. That spear went into the side of Jesus. And out of Jesus flowed water and blood, didn't it? 
And Jesus says this, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So out of the very side of Jesus, out of the very side of Jesus, God created this beautiful woman called the church. That's the picture he's giving. Now think about this for a moment, because this, this is really quite deep, but you can get it because you've got the Spirit. The cross, to the human mind, looked like a place of utter torture. But to God, it was a place of rest and reconciliation. When he was nailed to that cross, our Savior, he was in a place of rest. He was in a place of rest because he'd already dealt with the battle in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that place of rest, he took on every assault the enemy could throw at him. And he defeated it all. He defeated it all. And out of his side, he birthed a brand new race of men. Human beings, men and women, in the likeness of God. And we are objects of this great gospel and great good news that I've just shared with you. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to let the menial, worldly stuff just affect us and let us live a mediocre life? Or are we going to find a place of rest, a place of meditation, allowing some time for the Lord? Like we did this morning, worship for half an hour, just allowing some time before the Lord to rest. Because I believe out of that will come great creativity. To close, just go to John chapter 13, please. John chapter 13. Verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and they had come from God and was going to God. Basically, Jesus knew his identity. Knowing his identity, verse 4, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What am I doing? What I am doing? You do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered him. If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Notice that last line. If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. If we don't allow, hear me now, because some of you will not like this if, if there's a religious thing in the mind. If we don't allow God to serve us, we have no part with him. This scripture is always used about serving more in church, and that's good to serve in church. But if we don't allow God to serve us, 
into a place of rest and help us get into a place of rest, we have no fellowship with him because God's always at rest. And he can't really fellowship with, with a, a person that's not in rest, that just doesn't compute. He accepts everybody, but in terms of close fellowship, there has to be a rest. In terms of listening to the voice of the shepherd, you can't listen to the voice of the shepherd if there's 100 voices kicking around because you don't get any time to rest. And I really believe that God is saying to you, brothers and sisters, saying to me today, if you don't allow me to wash you with my word, if you don't allow me to come into your life, if you don't allow me to put you in fellowship with others and you're washing in the word together, then you don't have any fellowship with me. It's not enough to have fellowship with him individually. Remember, God said this, even fellowshipping with Adam individually, he said it's not good for a man to be alone. And so many Christians are opting out of local assemblies and not being part of a local body. Why? Because there's an isolationism that the enemy puts on them. And actually, it may be even a pursuit of a higher teaching or a different revelation. But what it is, it means this. No matter how much revelation you have, if you have no fellowship and no washing your feet together and no serving one another, you can't have a part with the Lord. There's a place of rest to be found, not only in your relationship with the Father, but a place of rest to be found in the community of the believers. Stand with me, would you? Father, I just thank you for every single person in this room, the potential that's in them to do amazing things for you. But Father, I pray, Lord, that they would see the awesome place that you've brought them to and the identity that they have in you. And Father, I pray, no matter how many scars the enemy's put in their life, how much trauma he's tried to lock them up with, in the name of Jesus, I just declare freedom to start and freedom to grow and liberty of the Spirit to come into every life. I declare that every person will, will strive to do one thing, to enter into a place of rest. That their work this week, whatever they're doing, would come from a place of rest, not a place of stress. Father, I thank you that you are teaching us and training us to, in our experience, be more and more like you. Because you see us like you right now. And Father, I pray that we would enter into your rest. As we rest in you, you will work on our behalf. And thank you as we rest in you, some of the best work, some of the best Creative stuff will come out from us as we rest in you and learn to meditate and put an honor on your word and an honor on your spirit and an honor on fellowship with you and an honor on fellowship with believers. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Now, this, this, uh, just to say, if you want ministry of any kind, there'll be a ministry team on my right and your left this morning. But I trust the word has ministered to you this morning. In Jesus' name, bless you.